Sports Interaction has you covered with odds on every playoff game. Before the game starts, live in play or how your favorite player will perform. Doing it right since 1997, Sports Interaction is Canada's sports book. With the most competitive odds, Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all that sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. That's sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. 19 plus, please play responsibly. This is Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wilde. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. So I am not going to say welcome to another episode of Agent Provocateur. Okay. Because uh, Steve Dangle... We'll uh, take that and uh, keep uh, messing with the uh, Alan Walsh impression. So we're going to start it a totally different way. Okay. How's it going, Adam? It's good, Alan. How are you? How are the playoffs treating you? Oh, well, I, I have to tell you, I really thank you, by the way. Thank you for that. I really appreciated that. I feel like that was a veiled shot, not less at me and more at Steve, which is deserved. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I mean, listen. Uh, I was at the game with Jesse, uh, Jesse Blake um, on game seven and and the Leafs lost. And I don't know the way things are going. I just feel like uh, I feel like you, tri- typical Toronto fan, a little stung again, but I felt like it was a better year. And um, I know that you look at the playoffs from a completely different perspective. So you're probably looking at me like, like I must, as a 34 year old man, you'd be like, you must look at me and be like, he's such a child. <laughs> you're a fan you're a fan so how are the playoffs going for you because it's a different experience for an agent so we're going to do a little playoff edition of agent provocateur today um playoffs are are a lot of things converging at once so the the players on teams that have been knocked out of the playoffs or didn't make the playoffs. There's a whole process that players go through from exit medicals with the club. uh, And then many times there's issues of does the player need surgery on a particular body part from an injury? Um, Who's going to do the surgery? Mm -hmm. Can it wait a year? How severe is it? So there's a lot of, discussions with GMs and doctors and players and sometimes players and parents where we're all trying to get resolution on the knee injury or the hip or the shoulder. And a lot of times, as as you well know, at the uh, end of the season for a particular team, come the announcements that this player got surgery, that player got surgery. There's a lot of work behind the scenes to get to that point, mm-hmm. you hear the surgery announcement, but not all the work, the second opinions, sometimes third opinions, the debates going back and forth on whether the player actually needs surgery or not. So you have the medical as a key part of the end of season wrap up. And then you have the exit interviews that take place between the player and the GM uh, player and the head coach talking about their season, their progression, their development. Uh, what can we do differently? Um, sometimes it's usually long or short. How like what would be the average length of something like that? And do you have to prepare for it as a player? I don't think there's really anything to prepare in and of itself. 
Some exit meetings have been five minutes Mm -hmm. and others have been several hours. Okay. And it really depends on the um, personalities of the people involved. Mm -hmm. Some GMs like to sit down and have a full dissection of the season. And they ask a lot of questions about coaching staff, uh, training staff, medical staff. Uh, what what can we do differently? Uh, how can we be better? Those are very common questions that GMs tend to ask uh, during those meetings. Sometimes a player is at the end of his contract and he's a impending restricted free agent or a impending unrestricted free agent. And the conversation veers more towards the player's future with the club, they won't, there, there won't be a negotiation going on in the meeting, mm-hmm. but there will be a, what I call like a statement of interest where a GM will say, listen, we really want you back. And I'm going to give Alan a call in the next you know week or two, and we'll start talking and hopefully we, we get something done in your back next year. And sometimes um, a GM will come right out and say, um, for whatever reason, you're not in our plans. You know, we're not going to be making you an offer, you know, so plan on, you know, going to the free agent market, or we're not going to give you a qualifying offer and you're going to be free to go wherever. And I'm going to call Alan and let him know that as well. Uh, Thanks for everything. That's a much shorter meeting. Um, Yeah. But uh, so there's all that stuff going on, on what, everyone else getting ready for a playoff game or two playoff games in any given day uh, or in the first round, four playoff games in, in any given day. And, uh, and really my days are starting really early talking to all the play. Now, logistically players are leaving their home, their, their club city and going home. Mm-hmm. So the club is purchasing air tickets and players are moving out of their you know, homes or condos or apartments. Sometimes there's furniture rented. Sometimes stuff needs to go into storage. So logistically, that makes it a very busy time. Coupled with that, I always go on the road for playoffs. And uh, this playoff cycle, I was in uh, Minnesota, uh, Florida, um, three games in L.A., Mm-hmm. Um, and New York. So there was a lot of air miles the first uh, round and a half yeah. uh, as we go from uh, Sweet 16 to Sweet 8. Is there a um, is there a, a, a conflicted parent feeling when you see two of two of uh, the guys that have been on this show, David Perron and Marc-Andre Fleury, go head to head in like a war? That first round with St. Louis and Minnesota was I think for a lot of people is surprisingly, you know, obviously you're a blues fan or a wild fan, you're interested, but outside of it, it made headlines as one of those special series of this first round. How was it watching for you? You mean when uh, David Perron comes down the ice and scores on Marc-Andre Fleury? Yeah. How do I feel? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Conflicted. Good word. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously happy for David and obviously painful. Anytime I see a, uh, uh, a goal go in uh, on on flower. Uh, 
Flower uh, sent me a text after uh, one game. I don't think I'm talking out of, out of school to say it. He said, uh, yeah, next time you talk to David, tell him I'm going to let all the air out of his tires. <laughs> That's awesome. And you know, it was great, Alan, a reaffirmation that uh, at least from what I've read and what I've seen that Mark andre Fleury is going to be back next year, which is great. Yep. Um, so that's very cool. And, um, you know, it, obviously, you know, at his point in his career, it's it's a season by season ish thing. Um, so it's it's cool that he had such a fun run and that he wanted to come back. Did he uh, did he say anything about Minnesota or anything that you thought, man, what, what a special I'm glad he ended up there? Well, I, I know that he really enjoyed the experience there. The um, uh, organization was amazing to him. Uh, Billy is uh, Billy Garen's a great friend of his um, from their playing days. They won a you know won a cup together as players, won a couple of cups together with um, with Bill and management. Um, the fans were amazing to him. Uh, we'll have to see how the off season goes and what the future holds. There you go. I like that. Very agent of you. <laughs> um, and, and I guess um, I, I, I wanted to bring it back to the, 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 the end of uh, end of season meetings, because I don't think, you know, most of us, when we meet with our bosses, it's not the end of anything. It's we're just continually meeting with our bosses. Um, do you ever have to deal with clients that are surprised by what the general manager said in the meeting? Is it you or, or is it normally it's kind of what's it's expected? Um, most of the time, there isn't any real new revelations that take place in an exit meeting. Mm-hmm. But periodically, something is said um, either from the player that that tweaks the GM or the GM says something that causes the player to um, be surprised. Hmm. And, uh, I, I know that in, in any given year, there's at least one or two phone calls I get from a GM or a player, um, either not happy with the way the exit meeting went or not happy with something that was said in the meeting Mm -hmm. that needs some pretty quick follow-up to make sure, uh, messages didn't get crossed and there's no lingering issues beyond uh, what was said that day. And and then you have to get in, step in on that. Um, the other thing is with players going deeper and deeper into the playoffs, Alan, you've seen this year after year. I think it's, did you say it was 25 straight years at Octagon that there's been a Stanley Cup awarded to a client? Right. Um, so we're going for year 26. What is your, when you call a client in the third round and it's games, game four, the third round, and it's going to be a long series. How different are they? How different is their voice? Or when you see them, do you notice any physical changes? Do you know notice energy changes? Or are they kind of usually just the same as they are in the regular season? I try to leave players alone during the playoffs. Um, there are certain times where we communicate with each other mm-hmm. uh, right after games mm-hmm. is a time where I always connect with a player um, during the playoffs, uh, sometimes the day before a game, uh, we'll, you know, have a, a brief conversation, but I let everybody know I'm here if you need anything, but I'm not going to bother you. Okay. Right. You've got other things to do, other things going on. I remember, um, one year it was, uh, 
it was St. Louis versus Boston. It was the year uh, St. Louis won the cup. And I went into Boston for game seven and it was the day before game seven. And I, and David, David Perron knew I was coming in Mm -hmm. and his parents were there and his, um, his wife was there. And, uh, and I text David, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be in. And if you have time, happy to meet for coffee. If you are busy or don't want to get together, no worries at all. I'm here for the game. I'm here to support you. And, uh, and we'll see each other after, after the game on the ice. And Dave was like, no, 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 let's, uh, let's get together for coffee. So we agreed to meet at the Starbucks a couple of blocks from the hotel. And Dave and I are sitting there having coffee, talking about the playoffs, talking about the last series, uh, talking a little bit about uh, game seven and, and what it means. And we reminisced, reminisced together a little bit about some of the things that have happened in his past, some of the adversity he's overcome that is very well documented. And, um, and Doug Armstrong is across the street, walking totally by himself, very slow. And, uh, and I go, Hey, look, there's army. <laughs> and, and he looked like he needed a friend, right? <laughs> he was a man. So, so I, I walked out, I walked outside onto the curb because the glass is a little less uh, smoky. And I took a picture of army by himself walking across the street and I blew it up a little bit and I texted to him while David and I are sitting there. And I wrote under the picture of him, a man alone in his thoughts, dot, 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 before game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. And, uh, and, and I sent it and David and I are laughing and uh, Doug Armstrong, we saw him like pull out his phone. So it must have vibrated, read it and start looking around. like (laughs) 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 We never, we never came out of the Starbucks. You didn't know where I was. Oh, that's mean. Around a little bit. And then he put his phone back in his pocket and he kept on walking. (laughs) Yeah. That's, (laughs) I still have the photo. I still have the photo. I'm sure that'll never see the light of day, but that's very funny. And I I know we want to see it. Oh, that's funny. So, so there was a couple of things we were talking about pre-show today. You got a, you brought a couple of stories to the show. And one of the things that I love about this, and we, you know, we've gone to dinner. Um, the stories that you have, Alan, are special. They're just a, a whole glimpse into a different world that, you know, us as fans, you know, we talked about me being a fan beforehand. It's just a, it's just a different world. So um, there's a couple of crazy stories that you've never heard before that Alan's going to tell you. And the first one has to do with a very famous sandwich, right, Alan? It, it, it really does. So you well know, and most people know that I was born and raised in Montreal. And, uh, and, and what Montreal is known for, amongst many things, is the, the character and the history and the tradition of its restaurants, mm-hmm. right? Some of their restaurants are literally world famous slash legendary. So let's go back in time, far, far, far back in time all the way back to the 2010 playoffs, Pittsburgh Penguins against the Montreal Canadiens. 
It was the conference semifinals. This was what was known in Montreal as the the spring, Halak Spring. Right. right? This was the Halak Spring. And I was in Montreal between I got there before game three of that series. That series ended up going seven games. Montreal won the series. And it was before game three. I was at game three. After game three, I went down and I went over to the Penguin side. And on that team that year, um, I was working with Flower, Pascal Dupuis, Ruslan Fedotenko, um, and Mike Rupp. All right. So I had four guys on the team. And Flower is always, always, every time I've ever seen him after a game, the absolute last person out of the room. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I've seen everybody and then flower comes out last as I'm well expecting and uh, like, Hey, we going to get together for lunch tomorrow. What's the plan? If you can't make it, you're busy. No worries. You have some team function. No worries. He's like, no, no, no. Let's uh, let's, let's plan on, on lunch. Maybe, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get duper and, and rupper and feds and we'll all go to lunch somewhere. Great. Um, I'll get a text what time practice is and uh, we'll figure it out from there. So I'm kind of on standby in the afternoon. Flower texts me. Um, uh, hey, you good for two o'clock? Yep. Two's fine. And then he calls me and he says, hey, Alan, you ever hear of a restaurant in Montreal called Schwartz's? <laughs> I said, Schwartz's. He goes, yeah, Schwartz's. I said, Flower, I grew up in Schwartz's. My dad grew up on the street behind Schwartz's. I said, Schwartz's has been around since my dad was a kid. I said, everybody in Montreal knows Schwartz's. Mm -hmm. He says, well, like, what kind of food is it? I said, buddy, the best smoked meat in the world, but you can go, you know, off of the beaten path. They have amazing rib steaks with these incredible spices too. I mean, you can have just about every, anything there. Mm -hmm. So he's like, uh, well, you know, like they were talking about it in the room and I've never been, maybe, you know, we can go to Schwartz's no problem at all. So I have a mid-sized SUV that I rented at the airport drive to the bell center, you know, a couple of blocks from my hotel. And, and, and there's an area through the garage where the players come out after practice, I'm kind of sitting there waiting five, 10 minutes flower comes out and, and he's by himself. And he goes, um, you might have a couple of the other guys come to, okay. he said, uh, they heard Schwartz's and everybody kind of wants to go. I was like, well, how many guys? Oh, I don't know. Like, say, you know, it was like total of like eight guys, seven guys, eight guys. <laughs> so out of the garage at that moment comes uh, Rupper, Duper, Feds, Sidney Crosby, Kunitz, and Latang. And, you know, it's a midsize SUV. And uh, Flower goes, pop the trunk. I pop the trunk. And two guys, there's no conversation between them. Two guys just automatically jump into the trunk 
of the SUV, you know, the area between the back row and the door that comes swinging down, door closes. I mean, they're scrunched up in there. The rest of the guys come in. The SUV drops about two feet, right? <laughs> I so bet it did, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're literally riding on the ground, and off I go to Boulevard, Saint Laurent, and, uh, and Schwartz's. Park the SUV, we get out. Now, the thing you got to know about Schwartz's, right? I told you this place is legendary. There is, it's not very big inside. And walking in, it's like, walking into the 1930s or 40s mm-hmm. everything is original right the the countertops the stools at the counter the tables i mean everything looks literally like it's still the 1940s and uh there's a line of about 30 40 people all the time waiting to get in there's no reservations right mm-hmm. you just wait in line and by the looks of the line, when we pulled up, it's a good hour. Wow. So we get out and everybody kind of looks at me, right? Because nobody wants to stand on the sidewalk for an hour uh, in, the, in, the, in the midst of a playoff round. Um, so I go in and I happen to recognize one person working there from the time when I used to go as a kid. So I walk over. Oh, Alan, how are you? Good, good. Come here, come here. I got, I got a situation. Yeah. Uh, listen, uh, I've got eight guys on the Pittsburgh Penguins outside who've never had Schwartz's smoked meat. And everybody wants to come in and have a quick lunch. Can you accommodate them? Oh, yeah, no problem. Next table becomes available. You guys come in. Just wait outside on the side, on the corner, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come get you. I come out. Guys are still looking at me. I said, relax, guys. Five, ten minutes. Five, ten minutes. Five minutes go by. The guy from inside the restaurant comes out. Now, Schwartz's is lively, loud. It's bustling. There's, I mean, it's hard to hear yourself, let alone the person you're with, when you're having... Uh, a lunch or dinner at Schwartz's. We walk in, this place is loud. People are talking, you hear dishes clanking. I mean, it's a bustling, lively restaurant. We walk in, everyone looks up and dead silence, dead silence. (laughs) So we kind of look around and it is here because I've never heard Schwartz's that quiet, right? So we come in, there's a long table. We all sit down. There's Sidney Crosby, Marc-Andre Fleury, everybody, uh, Chris Letang, all laid out. And uh, guys are ordering old-fashioned smoked meats, and some guys are ordering rib steaks, and we're having fries. And, and, and I mean, there's food coming from everywhere, and it's still eerily quiet, Right. Nobody is coming up and asking for autographs or pictures or anything, but it is you can hear a pin drop in Schwartz's while we're eating. <laughs> and, and it went pretty quick, 30 minutes and yeah. we're ready to go. And then the uh, the person working there who was nice enough to get us our table comes up to me and says, uh, hey, Alan, do you think it's possible that we could take a picture of 
the whole group and all the employees under the awning, under the Schwartz's sign. Okay, there's a big awning out on the on the front of the restaurant, and he wanted a picture underneath it. So sure, hey guys, photo time. Yeah, sure. We all are, you know, walking outside. They go and they get all the employees from inside the restaurant, and we all kind of squeeze in. I'm like in the middle. I got my armor on everybody. I'm all ready to smile. And the, the guy goes, um, hey, Alan, do you mind taking the picture? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. I go out on the, I, I'm literally standing, you know, two, three feet on the road mm-hmm. off the sidewalk because I couldn't get, right, the get awning the, and all the, the whole... guys, this whole crowd. And so I'm literally on the road, you know, taking these pictures. They, they're out there somewhere. Somewhere is the Pittsburgh eight guys on the Penguins under the Schwartz's sign, you know, between game three and game four of uh, of the uh, of the conference semifinals. And um, and and we all, you know, I drive him back to the hotel. We all go back to the hotel and then uh, game four morning. uh, I get a a text from one of the guys. Hey, if you got a second, uh, give me a call. Uh, Sure. Give him a call. He goes. Hey man, I, I'm not feeling very well. Oh no. I, I think I got food poisoning. I'm like, food poisoning? He goes, Yeah, I just I I haven't felt well since that smoked meat sandwich, to be honest with you. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Like, I hope I can play tonight. Uh, about 15, 20 minutes later, another player texts me. Hey Alan, can you give me a call? Give him a call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm, I'm not well today, man. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not feeling good. And, and there were like three guys on the team. Oh, <laughs> no, who, who it, I, I'm not blaming anything. I just, it could have been what they had for dinner. It could have right? very it well been. been what they had for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But I, but I wasn't feeling great oh, man. after getting those phone calls. You realize how this is going to play in the Montreal media now, right? Like <laughs> Alan Walsh single-handedly won us the series. It happened. <laughs> and I just want to say that I've been a lifetime, lifetime um, uh, uh, admirer uh, of Schwartz's. I've been there too many times. Like I said, I grew up there. I grew up inside Schwartz's with my dad. Uh, and my brothers, um, there were times we would go three times a week, four times a week. I mean, it was literally the place where we always went uh, while we were growing up. So, and the guys there have always been great to us, uh, to me and my family. And I still, when I come to Montreal, it's one of the first places that I go to. So uh, I just thought that uh, bringing in that last little part, you know, <laughs> brought the story full circle. It did. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, um, uh, we're going to do and we have still haven't announced it fully yet, but we've sort of talked about it on some of the shows that we're going to do something in Montreal for the draft. Canadians getting the first overall pick. That's pretty special. Alan, you've got some clients, uh, some up and comers in that draft. I think one of them, Maybe pegged to go top five, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, so David Yurichek is a Czech defenseman. He's playing now for Czech Republic in the World Championships, and um, on on most of the uh, reputable draft lists, he's he's inside the top five, which is awesome. And so. Uh, you know, hopefully, uh, I know you're not going to have a whole lot of time, but uh, hopefully we can meet up at Schwartz's because I'm I'm hungry just thinking about that sandwich. I want to go. So uh, we're going to do a big tour of Montreal, SDPN night coming. 
Um, and of course, uh, uh, you know, hopefully uh, David's got to be kind of excited now. We're like a month out from this. So it's, it's pretty cool. Big time. Uh, and, and if you want to do S- SDPN night at Schwartz's, let me know. Okay. <laughs> if we could, oh my God, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Alan, the other thing is um, uh, you've got another, you've got a story. I don't think most people will remember this player. And this is one of the most unbelievable stories I've heard about hockey. And I'm actually surprised you're allowed to tell it. Well, um, I think enough years have gone by where, um, you, you know, I can, I can throw some names out there and put uh, names and faces into the context of the story. So we went back in time to 2010. Let's get back in our time machine mm-hmm. and let's go all the way back, all the way back to uh, 2001. And uh, it was NHL playoff time. And at the same time, just as what's going on right now, world championships are going on in Europe. Mm-hmm. And in between my playoff tour, I had uh, six or seven players playing on the Slovak team at the world championships back then in 2001. And, um, and a group of guys playing on the Czech team. And uh, the world championships, one of the cities that was hosting the tournament was Nuremberg, Germany. Mm-hmm. So I am flying. I was, I was actually in Toronto and I flew from Toronto to, uh, to may have been Mannheim okay. and drove from there into Nuremberg. And, uh, I met the Slovak team's hotel. Mm-hmm. One of the players on the Slovak team was Zdeno Seeger. And I don't know if um, many people out there right now remember Zdeno Seeger, but Zdeno Seeger in 1995-96 with the Edmonton Oilers scored 31 goals. He had 31 goals and 70 points. He was a hell of a hockey player. And, um, and Zidano, you know, wasn't, it wasn't the first time he scored 31 goals. I think the year before he had 27. I mean, he was a, a really, really good player, goal scorer. And, and one of the top players on the Oilers, Glenn Sather's Edmonton Oilers. And, um, after the 96 season, Zidano disappeared. His contract was up. He was um, married to a woman. I believe she was a nurse and she couldn't work as a nurse in Canada. uh, Didn't like living in North America. And she wanted to go back to Slovakia in the worst way and live there. And uh, Zdeno decided that he was going to leave the NHL after scoring 31 goals, 27 years of age and go back and play in Slovakia. Wow. And uh, and and four years later, Sedano was still playing in Slovakia. Now, I got into the business in 1995. Right. So 95, 96, Sedano scores 31 goals. The question that came up every year in the offseason, whatever happens to Sedano Seeger and why doesn't somebody sign him and bring him back to play in the NHL? Mm-hmm. And and every year there'd be an interview with Zidano and he'd say, no, I'm not coming back. 
I'm not interested. I'm really happy in Slovakia. Uh, everything is great. So Zdeno is on the Slovak team that year in 2001. And it's May 2001, Nuremberg, Germany. I'm there. And a bunch of NHL GMs are there. And some, some NHL owners are there. Um, and Doug Reisbrow was the GM of the Minnesota Wild. And uh, he and I and the owner of the Wild at the time, Bob Nagley, who's, who's since deceased, um, decide to meet together in some uh, uh, pub for lunch. So we are sitting in this outdoor area on, on these big tables with beers and, uh, and our lunch. And uh, Doug says to me, hey, Alan, uh, you, got, you got how many guys on the Slovak team? I said, I don't know, about seven. Yeah. Uh, Zdeno Seeger, do you have any uh, insight what he's going to do? I said, not at all. I said, Doug, that's the annual question everybody always asks. You know, <laughs> what is going on with Zidano Seeger? He goes, well, he says, um, I know you don't represent him or anything, but do you mind talking to some of your guys and seeing if you can uh, set up a meeting for, for me and uh, Zidano? I said, sure, simple enough. Go back to the hotel, Slovak player hotel after lunch, meet up with a couple of my guys. Hey, uh, can you? Ask Sedeno if he is available to meet with Doug Reisbrow, the GM of the Minnesota Wild, who would like to talk to him about next year. So while I was asking two players that, Sedeno mm -hmm. Seeger is walking into the lobby. So they go, Sedeno, come here. This is um, our agent, Alan Walsh. Alan, here's Sedeno. Sedeno, Alan's got a question for you. He's like, yeah, shoot. I was like, uh, Doug Reisbrow, GM of the Minnesota Wild, would like to meet you to talk about next year. Are you interested to meet him? He goes, you know what's going on in my life? I said, no, I, I have no idea. He goes, oh, I'm, um, I'm getting divorced. And uh, I've actually been thinking a lot about NHL and uh, would, would really like to uh, go back. I said, uh, are, are, you, are you looking for an agent? I, I, I'd love to represent you. Goes, oh, yeah, thank you. you know, I'll, I'll think about it. Um, you know, I, uh, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. I said, okay. So I said, do you want to meet Doug Reisbrow tomorrow? He goes, sure, sure. So we set up a time in the lobby. They're going to go meet for coffee. I go back and tell Doug. Doug's excited. Everything's great. They're going to get together. Day or two later, I'm at the Slovak game. The warm-up is going on, pregame warm-up, mm -hmm. and I see uh, Doug and Bob Nagley there, and I walk over and I say hi, and I said, hey, Doug, how was your coffee with Zidano Seeker? He says, it was very enlightening. I'm like, enlightening? <laughs> I said, okay. He goes, let me tell you how it went. I said, Zidano. Would you have any interest in playing next year for the Minnesota Wild? And he said that he would. And I said, that's great. Can I ask you why? He goes, yes. He said, I don't want to play anywhere where there's any stress to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and you guys are like the worst team in the league, right? You finished like near the bottom of the league. That's perfect for me because I don't want to be anywhere where we're expected to make the playoffs, where there's any stress. I don't like stress in my life. I like to be calm and relaxed. So, so there's that. He says, also, you guys have a lot of lakes, right? In Minnesota. He said, yeah, we're the land of 10,000 lakes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He goes, I love fishing. I <laughs> love fishing. So Minnesota would be perfect for me. You know, I can, I can, you know, go to practice, maybe after practice, go and fish, you know, like at least a couple of times a week. So Doug's like, um, okay. He says, what kind of contract are you looking for? And as Zidano told Doug, oh, it's got to be as long as possible. I need a long, long-term contract. And Doug said, well, you're already in your early 30s. Why do you need a, a long-term contract? And Zidano said, well, you know, I have a really bad back. <laughs> and I don't know how long I'm going to be able to play. Right? So I need, no, I, I may only be able to make it through half a season. So I need as long a term of contract as possible. And Doug's like, um, okay. And he's, and he's uh, any, anything else? And as Dan's like, oh, I'm really excited thinking more and more about Minnesota, but you know, I don't like crowds. I don't like a lot of people. I like, you know, uh, uh, calm. I like uh, things to be spread out. I think Minnesota would be perfect to me for me. Okay. Um, so Doug looked at me and said, you know, I'll be passing on Zidano Seeger. <laughs> I can't see why. I, 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 I was shocked great myself, resume. right? <laughs> so I, I, I went and, and, and saw Zidano after the game. And I just said to Zidano, I'm, I, I know I'm not your agent, but I'm going to give you some unsolicited advice here. Yeah, when you're talking to a GM uh, about where you might want to play or playing for his city, now I wouldn't bring up how, you know, a bad back and long-term contract in the same sentence. Mm -hmm. And I probably wouldn't talk about, you know, not wanting to make the playoffs and not wanting any stress, you know, like every GM wants to make the playoffs. It's not really a good thing to say, you know, just helping you out here any chance I can. And um, he's like, Oh yeah, I probably shouldn't, uh, shouldn't have said that. Eh? Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for that. I see. I, I wouldn't say anything about the fishing. Either, you know, like whatever your hobbies are, you know, I keep them to yourself. So um, I got a, a, a call from Zidano uh, about four or five days after the world championships. Um, hey, Alan, I just want to let you know, uh, I got my deal done with a with a team and I, I, you know, I got a you know really good agent. I'm really happy with recommended to me by a friend and uh, everything is good. So thanks. Thanks for everything. And, uh, you know, don't call me, I'll call you. All right. <laughs> um, and, and, and then a couple of days later, uh, I see uh, Zidano Seeger signed a multi-year contract with the New York Rangers. General manager, Glenn Sather. So, I mean, I understood the connection to slats, mm -hmm. but I start thinking, you know, New York City, a lot of people. A lot of people, a lot of people busy and they had one of the biggest payrolls in the NHL. Oh, yeah. 
All right. In 2000, 2001, 2002. And they were looking to make the playoffs. They weren't there to, to just skate through the season and, and, uh, and not have any postseason action in New York. So I made a mental note to see how things uh, go with uh, Zidano. And uh, uh, I had a player on the Rangers that year. And uh, they all flew in on September 8th, September 9th, uh, 2001. And uh, the Rangers Hotel for a lot of the players was the Marriott next to the World Trade Center. And uh, two days after arriving in New York City was 9-11. The biggest terrorist attack in the history of the United States, maybe the world. And, um, you you know, this is 48 hours after he arrives in uh, New York. So going, going into the season, uh, I remember Zidano got moved to Tampa at some point during the year. And, um, and that was his only year on the multi-year deal. He went back to Slovakia, whether he got, um, bought out. I think he got bought out or there was some kind of a settlement on his contract in some way at that time. And, uh, and he went back to uh, Slovakia, but uh, you know, I was still, you know, in 2001, I was, you know, five years, six years in the business. So I still considered myself fairly green. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was um, at the time uh, that whole back and forth, uh, with Risebrow and being over at the world championships at that time was, uh, was something I, I, I said to myself back then, if I ever write a book, there's going to be a chapter about this situation in the book. Well, now there's an episode on the podcast. So that's maybe right. We'll leave, maybe we'll leave it out of the book. <laughs> no, that's got to make the book anyway. That's got to make the book anyway. Alan. Wow. What a story. And you know, um, I started watching the NHL when I was probably eight or nine. So that was right around the time he would have left. So I had never heard of him, never heard of him. Uh, just what a, what a crazy story. And, and, uh, um, and I know he, you said he's coaching in Slovakia now, so he's still involved in the game and still loves the, which is cool. Oh so, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Well, go ahead. And he ended up, um, ha- having a, a fantastic career in Europe. Yes, where he's one of the most celebrated players to ever don a Slovak uh, national team jersey and play in Slovakia, um, and and again thirty plus goal scorer in the NHL. Great player, very nice uh, person, but uh, that was a heck of a situation. Yeah, just looked at his uh, hockey DB before this. He had two hundred and thirty points in his very limited career. That's a that's a pretty potent career. So uh, good for him. And Al, what an unbelievable story. <laughs> couple of stories. So um, I I mean, I don't know what to say other than thank you, because uh, I really enjoyed, I, you know what I think what it is, and I think what makes this special and talking to you special is the fact that we get the, to see that from, a, from a, an angle that no one else does, right? And what's interesting to me about that story, other than Zidano, is that you are not his agent and yet you're still brokering conversations. And I think it's so interesting about um, our perception of agents is usually that they're banging their fist on the desk, give my client more money or that sort of thing. But really it's, there's a lot of 
um, teamwork between you and general managers, as well as between you and players. Oh, like, like I've always said, uh, and that's very insightful, Adam, 95% of the time, uh, not only are the player, the agent and the club's interests completely aligned, but there's actually great cooperation going on between all the parties involved. Everybody's working in the same direction. Everybody's helping the other person out other than the actual uh, putting together of the contract, which um, is, I wouldn't say adversarial because the idea of somebody or anybody pounding on the table, smoking cigars and banging down the phone, you know, just is not reality. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there's, there's, there's give and take. There are times when conversations could get a little uh, emotional or heated, uh, but it's, it's all part of the process. Uh, There's 5% of the time where your interests don't align. Mm-hmm. And 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 when they don't align, you have to uh, fashion a a set of values going into the discussions and and lay out what your uh, lines are in the sand, if there are any. Mm-hmm. And uh, if those lines get crossed, that's usually the times in in historically where people have, have heard from me. There you go. Well, Alan, it's a uh, uh, it's it's a fascinating look. Thank you so much for sharing those stories and naming names. That was really fascinating. All right. Well, we'll see you for playoff edition part two coming up. Week. Coming up next week. This has been Agent Provocateur with Alan Walsh and Adam Wild, powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's sportsbook. Follow Alan Walsh on Twitter at Walsh A. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching Agent Provocateur and hitting the subscribe button. YouTube.com slash SDPN. 